Welcome to Disruption Blueprint with Shannon Spotswood from RFG Advisory. In this podcast, we help advisors grow their net worth, build their businesses, and maximize their independence. We've built an award-winning platform with innovative technology, comprehensive service, and a team of individuals who are experts in their field to serve advisors. Join us for this journey where we explore everything that has to do with running an independent advisor practice as we bring together successful advisors, industry experts, and innovative minds who are on the bleeding edge to challenge the status quo, foster new ideas, and create a path for advisors to unleash their growth potential. Now, on to the show. Disruption Blueprint was previously known as War Room Huddle. Please continue to enjoy this content as you build your practice for the future. Paulo, it is so great to be with you today on War Room Huddle. Thank you so much for joining us. Janet, it's such a pleasure. Thank you so much for the invitation. It's, it's great seeing you. You look fantastic, by the way. <laughs> well, you know, it's summertime. Thank you so much. You know, I've been dreaming about this session since you were a keynote speaker at our annual advisor conference in Captiva and watching our advisors, how they were responding to the wisdom that you were dropping. So this is one that I've been uh, I've been fired up for for a long time. So we're going to have some fun today. Yeah, I got to tell you, that was one of the best advisor conferences that I've been to. I mean, I think it was a combination of almost the collective energy and how positive everybody was and, and just uh, uh, just how they're looking to get better and, you know, it helped their clients have a better experience. Beyond that, I just really think that they were having fun. It was a, a group of people that really enjoyed themselves, enjoyed what they did, and they loved having fun. So it was great to see that. Absolutely. <laughs> I mean, a lot of who you are attracting in your community. I think, you know, you ought to absolutely somebody should congratulate you for that because it's pretty special. Well, I appreciate you saying that. And it really, you know, to some degree, it's the genesis of why we host these master classes, which is we're on a mission to help advisors really sharpen the sword and level up and recognizing that the future of our industry looks very different than what it has been in the past 30 years. And while the opportunity remains like, greater than ever. The skills that have brought us to this point of success are not necessarily what's going to carry us into the future. So I think we're, we, you're a big part of this. And I want to jump you know, right into it because you said something as, you know, I've been in the industry a long time and you said something that's been rattling around in my brain and I thought was pretty provocative, which is we're not in the investment business. We're in the people business. And our skill set is communication. And I think if you went around and asked advisors, what business are we in? Very few of them would answer, we're in the people business, and I need to be a black belt in communication. And so you said, we're ultimately selling words. What do you mean by all of that? Yeah, and it's such an important concept. And I'm so glad you brought it up because... If you think of, of, of somebody making cupcakes, I mean, it's easy. You, you can go and you taste a cupcake and it's a product, you feel it, you, and, and that's what it is. It, it, when somebody meets with an advisor, I think ultimately what they are getting is an experience. What they're looking for is an experience. And I think it's on multiple levels. Uh, so what I mean, first of all, starts with the fact that money is deeply personal. And somebody has the openness to come to us and say, well, I'm willing to open my financial books and to let you see where I am with my money. And that is deeply personal. 
And what they really, uh, in my view, what they people they want is they want a relationship with somebody they can trust. And the only yeah. way that we can establish that trust is through our actions, but also our words. So our words and our actions aligning is really what's going to drive to the trust and building the relationship. Because it's a relationship business. People come work to us with us because of their relationship and because they trust us. And, and that's something that you earn over time. And the one way to earn is, is to say what you do, but also do exactly what you say. So, so part of it is the establishing the relationship and the trust. And this is not something that comes overnight. I think you have to work hard at it. But it really starts with being very clear and communicating with somebody. If you uh, set unrealistic expectations, like the cupcake is going to be huge and super sweet and all that, and ultimately it's not, <laughs> they're going to be disappointed and not come back. But you, what they got from you initially is what you told them that you would do. The second dimension of this, in, in my view, and I, I, let me reflect on myself. When I got in this business and I started going to school and I ended up getting an advanced degree, it was because I love numbers and I love you know, making decisions that are based on data and evidence. I didn't want to do it on hunches. I, I, I thought that I, I'm better than that. And then I started looking at myself and realized that quite often the decisions that I made about my money were not really driven by the data and the evidence. It was that my buddy Johnny said that, hey, you should look at that stock and that's what I bought. Sometimes I was afraid of what might be coming and, you know, sometimes fear or greed led me to make certain investment decisions. And, and then I realized that I'm not a robot. Nobody is. And emotions are what makes us human. And if you don't pay attention to these emotions, whatever results you get as an investor, they're going to be distorted. They're not going to be the same as, as you probably ought to have as an investor. And, and one of the big sort of phrases that it's not always well understood, but I think it's really important is the investment results versus the investor results. And if somebody asked me to explain, like the, probably the, the, the cleanest way is to look at a, a fund that's been in the news lately, the last couple of years that has been a star manager who has a terrific performance ETF. And everybody kind of clamored how brilliant she was and, and how much money you can make in that investment. And when you look at it, it has a pretty good track record. And what people have done is just really look and say, okay, when did investors put money into that fund? And when you account for the timing, what you find is that a lot of investors have put money up once the fund had a skyrocketed performance. And once they got into it, their results are way subpar. So what I mean is that people are chasing past performance. They're making decisions based on emotions. And that's what I think that we're in the business with is that we need to talk to people and make sure that the results that they get and the decisions that they make are, are, are really based on uh, something that is more pragmatic. And that's why, as an advisor, it's so important to acknowledge the emotions, to make sure that people on, you know, feel like they are heard and understood. And at the same time, uh, start steering them uh, with your words towards making decisions that are more pragmatic with their money. And that's, that's what I mean. Is like we can talk about numbers all day, but if people make emotional decisions, if they make decisions based on hunches or just what they hear from friends or on the media, that's not going to lead them to really great results. And that's the second part of, of not being in the investment business as much as the people business. And the last one, uh, uh, Shannon, something that I have to uh, say that I, 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 I've seen in the industry over the past 30 years. And we, we've been in, in, in the business for a long time. And what I've seen is that there is an evolution on to the type of advisor 
that, that the advisors that exist right now. And, and if I were to broadly organize them and categorize them as different advisors, I would say that the original advisor was what I would think of as a broker. And a broker had an important function because it provided investors with access to the market. It facilitated access to the market and it helped investors with an investment solution. You know, what stock should I buy? It was a product type of pitch that they had. And that was fine because we needed that to access the markets. But at some point, as academic work came out and, and there was a realization it's not just the investment selection, but also the asset allocation uh, was important to an investor. There was a day two where you had almost the investment manager role and what today is a robo advisor. In my view, if you look at the day three, that it's perhaps where we are now in the direction that the industry is going is not just investment selection and asset allocation, uh, but also a very holistic lifetime of financial management that is much more encompassing, uh, much broader than just the product itself. Because what people want to talk about right now is not just about the product. Uh, I think that's getting commoditized uh, and it's not necessarily the most productive. And this is where the wealth manager comes in. Uh, so to me, it's part of also the evolution. And, and it also it's something that, that still exists. It's still fine to talk about product and say it's all about investing. But to me, the value of that is not the same as it used to be. So if you want to be the advisor of the future, in my view, you have to really start thinking about not where the industry has been, but what where we're going. And where we're going is that the conversations that clients want to have are much deeper. Their personal circumstances are a lot deeper. And, and their needs are a lot deeper. And, and I think the investments per se, they still have to be part of the conversation. I just don't know that they are the primary like they used to be. And that's uh, so that would be the third sort of dimension to this. So it's the relationship. It's making sure that, that we communicate and we manage emotions. And the third one is uh, just look at the industry. Where are we going? We're not going back to a product sale. We're much more going into a holistic financial uh, management. And I think it's so important to set that landscape because everyone would agree like, yes, we have to be comfortable talking about emotions. We're moving beyond just asset allocation and talking about products. But yet when you know you look at some of the data around our industry, whether it's our kind of customer ranking score of how people perceive financial advisors or just overall, would I turn to my advisor in the midst of you know some of the most pivotal moments in my life? We're not knocking the ball, uh, the cover off the ball in any of that survey data. And I think part of that is because even though we know we should level up and be much more comfortable with these emotive conversations, we have this historical kind of baggage and our and the love of our jargon to fall back on. Right. So you always say, you know, you're talking about yourself, the advisor, you're talking about yourself and you're talking about the numbers, like don't do that, it's boring. And you need to really develop a skill set like this is work. The point of this masterclass is this is work we all need to do. It is not an intrinsic skill that we're born with in the same way that we had to learn, you know, modern portfolio theory. We have to learn very advanced communication techniques. And one of the, the tools that you point to for advisors is this idea of nerd versus shack. Yes. <laughs> so walk us through what that means as we kind of go through today talking about how to level up to black belt communication skills. 
And you're right. I mean, I went to school because I like numbers. And I think a lot of advisors got in the investment business because they like the idea of, of, of numbers and data in the markets. And to me, part of it, too, is the mystery of the markets. And how do you uncover this mystery? A lot of it, you look at numbers. What we teach in schools when it comes to investing, what the CFP and the CFA program are so much driven by numbers, formulas and so forth. So part of it, what you said is absolutely accurate because the people attracted to this industry to begin with have a uh, uh, just a closer connection with numbers. I think the second part of it, and, and this is, again, something that I can draw on my own experience, is that part of the reason that I used numbers so much and jargon, as you mentioned, is that it was a safe space for me. I wasn't comfortable stepping outside because I felt like, you know, this makes me sound intelligent. I'm a guy with a suit and a PhD who speaks big words. Well, of course, the guy knows what he's talking about. And, and that gave me comfort. And it, it was my own insecurity that led me to using these words until I became a little bit more comfortable with, with, with my knowledge and became more confident in, in, in understanding what am I supposed to talk about and who is in front of me and, and not be so afraid to step out of my comfort zone. So part of it is my own lack of confidence in the early days and the fear of stepping outside and sounding foolish to some degree. But the more you go and you do it, you realize that it is so powerful. So what I found is that, that there are times when, particularly where I started, where so much of what I did was relying on numbers, what I think of as numbers, evidence, research and data. <laughs> That's where the nerd comes from. There was certainly a big nerd in me. <laughs> uh, and over the years, as I've interacted with families, what I realized is that, that there's not as much emotional connection because typically there are two individuals who are participating in a meeting and one might have more financial acumen than the other. And, and numbers don't always resonate as much. So what I realize is that, that even looking at my own family, looking at myself, what I tend to gravitate more is something more relatable. And what is more relatable than numbers? Well, to me, it starts with stories, humor, and humor not as a, like a comedian, a stand-up comedian, but just something to create engagement through a smile or just being relatable. Analogies, which I think do a really good job, and quotes, and they're quotes because they're actually really well said. So uh, what I've tried to do in, in, in developing a communication skill that, as you said, it wasn't taught to me in school, was to try to uh, really balance these two sides and not say that numbers are not important, but really acknowledge the importance of Shaq, the stories, humor, analogies, and quotes. And if anything, right now, I would at least start on that side particularly when you have a family, particularly when people are not experts, start with a story, something relatable, something easy to understand. And if folks want to get deeper, I need to have those numbers in my back pocket. But I don't start there necessarily because it's a lower emotional connection that you establish with people. So you need to know the numbers. But I think in my view, to really connect with people, you need to start at a deeper level that is more emotional in nature. And that's where the shack comes in. And, and, and what does it mean? We'll talk about it more during the podcast, but, but fundamentally, it's a reshaping of what do you think a productive meeting should be? Should it be all around the numbers? And in my view, you need to have those numbers. Is that the place to start, uh, particularly for families who have different levels of financial understanding? It's probably not. And jargon should be used. Uh, in some situations, I would not jump with that. I would not start with that. And, and this has been particularly interesting, Shannon, 
after the financial crisis because people have become more skeptical. If they don't understand what you're saying, they won't believe you. That's what I found. And they also realized that maybe I'm not supposed to be an expert in this. And realization came on a personal level when I was talking to some friends and, um, and, uh, uh, and you know, actually my dad had an issue with uh, the pancreas. And, 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 you know, I knew the pancreas is somewhere in my body. I just don't know what it does. I don't even know where it is. And, 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 and I felt foolish for a second. And then I realized, well, maybe I should ask the doctor to explain to me because maybe I'm not supposed to know what a pancreas is. So if I'm not supposed to know what a pancreas is, or maybe I'm supposed to, I don't, but that was the reality. Perhaps it's the same with an investor who hears the word bonds. They know there's something about investing. It just, just don't know exactly what it is. And I find that, uh, that it's incumbent upon us to explain what a bond is and not to assume that somebody knows what it is. So can you describe a bond through a little story or through an analogy? That to me is the powerful thing about being a communicator. And have some numbers, but don't go there first because people might not be supposed, they might not supposed to know these, uh, these jargon terms that, that we use all the time. And you've really spent a lot of time as you've evolved this concept of like anchoring your communication in the world of Shaq, knowing that we all have the nerd in our back pocket. I mean, I, the, you know, the analogy that I give to people is that, of course, we do financial planning. Of course, we do investment management. Like we're financial advisors. It's like going to the doctor and being surprised when they give you a checkup and, you know, take your, you know, blood pressure and all the rest of it. It's like, that's the core of what we do. So now we really have to take our relationships to the next level through communication. You've really defined four principles that kind of govern communication. And I wanna dig into stories and humor and analogies and quotes and the how, how to do all of that. Because I think up to this point, this all makes logical sense and is exactly where advisors wanna get to. So what are these four principles so that we're all on the same level playing field? And then let's dig into some real world working examples. Right, and by the way, I love the example of the doctor. Because quite often people come in and they say, you know, doctor, I have a little temperature. Give me that medication uh, because they seem like they already know what they need. And, and, and that's when the doctor ought to say, OK, well, let's look comprehensively at what's going on with you and let's do some tests and then we'll decide what medication. But people, when they come in and I've, I've been guilty of that, <laughs> doc, I right. have this thing. I know medication that I need exactly. And the doctor looks at me like, really, little buddy, just slow down a bit. <laughs> uh, I Googled so it. I'm, I'm practically sorry? a doctor myself. I Googled. <laughs> I've been on Google and I know <laughs> Dr. Google. So uh, to me, these four key principles are, are, are hugely important. And um, I don't know that I term them in any way. There are too many ways to describe them, but there are four what I call tenants of engagement with clients. So in a way, they're like the four toes, but that doesn't really sound well. <laughs> four toes. Where's the fifth one? And those not always uh, have the... You know, so let's just get past that and just highlight the four elements that, that all of us can pay attention to uh, as we communicate with clients. And the first one, I think it's the most important element of an advisor communicator, that it is not about us talking, but it's really letting the client open up. And the best way to do that is something that is known out there as active listening. 
And you might have heard this term. Uh, I think it's extremely impactful. I didn't know what it meant for the longest time because I kept hearing. But and, and ultimately, my mind, as I try to think about what it means, it simply means that when I talk to somebody and I ask a question, I listen to understand rather than listen to respond. Because I found that even in my own family, quite often my kids were telling me something, and bef- while they were talking, I knew exactly what I'm going to say at the end, and I, you know, I didn't need—I just politely let them finish, but I, I knew exactly the wisdom I need to drop on them. And I wasn't listening to understand; I was listening to respond, and I knew exactly what I'm going to say. And to me, a really powerful skill is to be able to ask a question based on what somebody told you. To dig a little deeper because then they really feel like you listen to what they have to say and the ultimate goal of active listening is to have a level of empathy for the person in front of you and what i mean empathy is is validate their feelings whatever the feelings might be you might not agree with them but you have to make them feel heard and understood and the way to do them is to ask these questions listen, uh, and then ultimately at the end, if you can paraphrase in your own words what they said and the emotions that you uncovered, I think that's a very powerful start. Uh, and, 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 and the way that you rephrase these is typically just be careful not to go into I understand how you feel or I know how you feel because you know, when people told that to me, I was like, yeah, do you really know how I feel? <laughs> uh, so the way that I try to do it is is try to frame it like it seems to me that what you're saying or it feels to me or, you know, that so it feels to me, it looks to me to something that 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 is broad in terms of your understanding. And if you got it wrong, well, that's what it seemed to me. So I'm glad you kind of corrected me if, if, if you didn't get it right. But if you can do that, do some active listening, make sure you have some questions uh, and really not interrogate somebody and go question after question, but really listen to what they tell you. And, and with a question as simple as, how can I help you? If, if a prospect is there, why not start there and, and listen and try to understand why are they coming to you uh, and what they're trying to, what problem are they trying to solve and then dig a little deeper. And ultimately, just be able to paraphrase. I think that's a hugely important skill. And, and in that respect, what I've tried to do, if, if this is the first tenant, uh, and we'll call this, you know, maybe uh, active listening uh, and then, you know, empathy. Uh, what I think uh, I, I always thought in my mind is, and you and I talked about this briefly, in my mind, what I thought is like, who's the person who's most successful in uh, empathizing and validating feelings? And in fact, she said exactly that. The reason, of my, the, the, the reason I'm so, that I was so successful is because I was able to empathize and validate people's feelings. And, and that person who said that, uh, her name is Oprah Winfrey. And I'm not here to kind of <laughs> say that she's the best one, but I, but I do think that she built a pretty good career all things considered, around empathy and listening. And then the question is, who is on the other hand? Who is somebody that is, you know, very self-absorbed? Uh, and, and, you know, there are different people in the world, there are different people in your life that you might know. And you have to ask yourself, when I met with a client, when I'm seeing somebody, am I closer to the Oprah empathy or closer to the person, whatever the mystery person might be in your life, who is really self-absorbed, never asks questions, and always tells you what to do. In in my case, I know exactly who that person is. It's it's a it's a, it happens to be you know a friend of the family, and I know exactly that every time I talk to that person, it's all going to be me 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 me, not a single question. And, and like I'm so bored out of my mind with her that. <laughs> 
Anyway, the point <laughs> is that pick that and look at that scale and see for that meeting that I had, where was I? Was I in the middle? Was I closer to this side or to this side? And and, and for the next one, perhaps make a, a point to maybe switch in one direction. But But evaluate yourself. And if you are in a meeting with somebody else, evaluate somebody else with respect to that. You can obviously create scales and you can look and say, well, it's a one to five, whatever. But, you know, in my case, am I am I Oprah or the other person? That's kind of like how I thought about this. So that's the first tenant. Very important skill is listening, active listening, empathizing and validating how people feel. And by the way, Shannon, let's just have a conversation. Anytime, any, any comments, anything, just please don't don't, don't uh, mind. You know, I will. I'm I'm loving it. Keep rolling. Number two. So the, the second one, it has to do with knowing your audience. So the second big tenant is that know your audience. It cannot be that you say exactly the same things to all people. The same message to one person might be incredibly powerful, but to somebody else might just completely get lost. And if you don't understand the audience in front of you, uh, then that can be really uh, a, a big problem. And, and what I mean by understanding the, uh, your audience, Particularly as, as you ask these questions, what I found is really important is to discuss matters that are important to somebody. One of the tenets that, that, that we all should know is that, that it's not about us. It's about solving somebody's problem and letting them know what's in it for them if they were to listen to us. And, and it, it means that, that we need to reshape some conversations. And instead of, you know, thinking, is that something that is important to me and, and I, and I, or to us? And is that, is that important to us? Or can we make things about them and things that are important to them? Uh, and a simple example of this is I've heard a lot of advisors who are talking about that we have CFAs on staff and we have MBAs and we do taxes and we do that. And that's one way to frame it. And I always, you know, wonder in my head, is there a way to reframe it? Because it's a little bit about us. How do you make it about them? And perhaps a way is just kind of say the same thing is you've worked really hard. You're a doctor. You've, you've achieved the level of professional success. The question is, how do you make sure that you maintain your lifestyle for the rest of your days? How do you make sure that you pass not only money, but family values to your kids? How do you make sure that you don't pay more taxes than you have to? And what you've done is taken the same exact things, but instead of making it about us, you made it about them. You're trying to solve a problem that they have. Uh, and that's what I mean is try to focus on what's in it for them. If they listen to me, what do they have to benefit? And always in your mind, think about this. What's in it for them if they were to listen to me? And the second I part of this... Is, I, I'm going to jump in really fast because I think that's one of the most important skills to develop in our industry. And you can see this probably um, most obviously in reading advisor bios. It's like me, me, me. I have all these years of experience. It has nothing to do with the person that they're trying to serve. And, you know, that's I, I love sharing an article, which is why, you know, it's basically titled advisor bios stink and what you should do about it. <laughs> and it's how do you rewrite your narrative, your personal narrative, to make it about them instead of about us. And our industry is really rooted in like how great we are. 
So that's, again, like our default position for communication, as opposed to how can I help you? And one of the other things that someone said to me the other day that really struck a curve as I was thinking and preparing for this conversation is that we want to default to, I've worked with a lot of clients like you, and this is what they're doing. This is how I've helped clients like you. This is how I'm going to help you. And it's like, I want to be special. Right. Like right. make me feel special. Make my family, my problems, my values, my path yep. special. I could not agree more. And it really starts with the first tenant that you have to ask some questions. So tell me a little bit. I mean, there are some questions out there in the industry that, that dig pretty deeply. Like, you know, if you, if you kind of, uh, uh, tomorrow you had all the money in the world in your account, what would you really want to do? And, 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 you know, things like that would, would give somebody a sense that you would develop a plan specifically for what they want. And if they say, well, what would you need to know all these things? Well, I could build you a cookie cutter plan, but to your point, Shannon, if you can actually identify some of these elements, you can be very custom to what they try to accomplish. And it's something that I'm going to come back because you kind of touched on this. I don't believe that, that the industry right now and a really good advisor is looking to maximize money. I think money is a tool. It, it's, 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 not, it's a means to an end. But you have to define what it is. And I do think that really good advisors right now are getting into the point of, of, of what's in it for them, not just monetarily, but what is important in their life. And, and the way that I thought about it, it's maximizing well-being. And maximizing well-being certainly has a component of money, but there are other components like, you know, could be spiritual health could be physical health and all of these things, uh, you know, come into play here. And, and, and in terms of knowing your audience, I think the second dynamic there is kind of what we mentioned earlier is that uh, whenever you present, uh, it has to be a balance. For some people who are sophisticated, it's nice to bring in some jargon. It's nice to know that, that, that you can bring it up and, and put some numbers up there. Uh, but I think that the second dimension of knowing your audience is that do I lean more on the nerd side? And for some people, it might be the case. Or do I need more of a shack? And my experience, and something that, that we talked about, is that if you talk about us uh, with numbers, this tends to be really boring. People check out. That they just, they just, you just lose them a little bit. And the next evolution of an advisor is really much more in the upper right-hand side, where you talk about important things to them, but really in a relatable way using stories, humor, analogies, and quotes. So knowing your audience is, is, is kind of like multiple dimensions, really understanding them based on the first tenant and asking some questions and then speaking at the right level and speaking about issues that are important to them because you're able to discover. So once you identify the problem they're trying to solve, let's speak to that problem. That's kind of the ultimate know your audience. And everybody might have a different issue. Everybody's trying to do different things. So that's the second uh, tenet of communication. And even here, by the way, if you actually look at this diagram, you know, for every single meeting, you can plot yourself and say, what was I in that meeting? Was I here? Was I here or was I here? So, so you kind of decide, you know, where was I for each meeting? And then you can self-evaluate or have people evaluate you. So for the next meeting, you can start moving perhaps again more in the upper right-hand side of the, of the quadrant. Uh, so that would be the second uh, uh, element here. The third is something that it wasn't obvious to me, but it just it became so apparent when, when, when something clicked. And, and it had to do with the fact that, that it's not just what you say, but how you say it. I have seen really smart people 
talking to me. And at some point I found that I'm not listening anymore. It just like for some reason I brought my phone and I checked the same message that there was not there. Like there's nothing new there. I just keep my is more engaging to listen to that guy. <laughs> so I realized that in the real world, it is not just about the content and what you say, but how you say it. And the way that I think about it is it's the delivery. Delivery matters. Absolutely delivery matters. And, 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 and what it means to an advisor is that we have to be a lot more purposeful in practicing not just what we say, but how you say it. And as I dug into this, I realized there are actually academic papers on the subject. And a UCLA professor published a paper that I think it's incredibly, it has been incredibly valuable to me, that looks at different facets of communication. And as I try to organize them in my head, I think of them as the three V's. And the first V uh, highlighted in the paper is verbal. Those are the words that we say. That's the content. The second one is vocal, our voice, how those words are said. And the third one is visual, which is the nonverbal behavior. And what this paper did is try to assign weights to these three categories, to these three facets. And what was really interesting to me is that the one that carried the greatest weight was in fact visual. And visual was 55%. The next one over was vocal, the voice, 38%, which left a, a whopping 7% for the words themselves. Wow. And if you think about it, this is the content. And, and at least in, 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 you know, in the early days, I would spend 95% of the time thinking about what I say. How I said it, it was an afterthought. Well, whatever. As long as I don't, you know, start crying on stage, I'll be okay. As long as I don't collapse during the meeting, I'm, it's fine. You know? <laughs> and then you, you look at this and you realize that, boy, as an advisor, uh, it's not just about practicing the content, but the delivery itself. And that to me has been a very big realization is that we need to focus more on how we present. And let's take the visual for a minute. Uh, the visual, probably the number one element is eye contact. Making sure that, that you look at the people in front of you. And most advisors are very skilled at this, not everyone. Uh, but also be careful that, that particularly when there are more challenging conversations, that's when uh, I find that sometimes you want to avoid eyes and you're looking down or you're looking at papers. To be able to have that strong eye contact is hugely important. And that's why in-person meetings are so important because you read that person in front of you and they can see in your eyes uh, whether you're genuine or not. Uh, the second one is have a level of you know, energy, like the posture, uh, the way you carry yourself is phenomenally important. Uh, and part of that energy and, and, and posture is presenting while standing up. Even mm -hmm. if you start a meeting uh, sitting down, you, you have a couple in front of you. At some point, have a prop, have a, a, a flip chart or a, a whiteboard and find a reason to go and write something on it and then keep standing up. It gives me at least a lot more energy in presenting rather than sitting down. Uh, and that's a big deal that, I, that I've tried to do is not necessarily present sitting down. And then uh, also, are you fidgeting? Are you, are you holding yourself? Uh, what's your posture? Uh, uh, that, that, that really makes a big difference. And the third one is, you know, we're in the people business, so smiling and having some warmth carries a lot of weight. I, I, do, I don't know that I want to be all stern. Like, I'm not saying I want to give everybody huggy bears, but I want them to feel warmed and welcomed. And I think that if you smile, not like a forced smile, but just a genuine smile, I think it goes a long way. 
so that's on the on the visual side. On the vocal side, the big one is the pacing. You know, even even today, I, I was listening to some folks who presented, and uh, and I could sense their nervousness because they the pace at which they were talking was very fast. Yeah, and also there was no pausing. They were just like, blah, 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 blah. I, I just want to get out of stage. I just want to get out of here. And I think that that uh, you think of a good communicator and the way that they're using their voice, that's tremendously impactful. And you know, <laughs> I keep thinking of um, the Godfather, and I'm, I'm, I know I'm putting up a, a, a big <laughs> person out there, but if you think of the lines that they were delivered in uh, in in the Godfather by those actors, and then you take the same lines and you put a crappy actor to deliver them, would they be as imp- we we remember this? as much probably not if winston churchill hadn't delivered those so you have to think about your voice it's part of that's what people hear from you so pay attention to that uh and on the content side certainly we talked about it you know quite a bit but to me uh, these two elements the, the 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 vocal and the visual ultimately to me imply your conviction how passionate are you how much do you believe into what you're saying uh, and that what conveys uh, uh, the vocal and the visual so it's it's really crucial that 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 people feel that you're not scripted you're not just saying something just that to memorize it you really believe it and the way you do it is through your vocal and your visual uh, and that's something that you can purposefully practice hardest thing to do it is record yourself uh, obviously not with clients in the room because they might not like that. But, you know, if you have a Zoom, record yourself or, or have somebody record you as in a case study or something because that is so hard to watch. Also incredibly beneficial at the same time. So that's uh, uh, that's the do third you think, time. Apollo, do you think if um, you conducted a random survey and asked advisors to grade themselves on the three V's that they would be too critical or too kind? That's a that's a really interesting question. I was incredibly critical of myself when I first listened to myself and watched myself. Like, is my voice really that high pitched and all that? And at some point, the more I did it, the more I just became comfortable in my own skin and I was able to do it. So I was critical in the beginning, much more critical than I ought to be. And at some point, I became more balanced. So that that was my feel. Like, I'm doing all these things that are wrong. And at some point, I became more confident and more comfortable. And, and I, I, I don't know, that, that, that's my experience. I'm not sure if most advisors, perhaps they might think, oh, I'm doing a great job until you right. watch yourself. <laughs> but right. even here, like by the way, awesome. <laughs> yeah, even here, you can, you can create a scale. Like I thought, like, you know, for this one, what scale would you create? Well, what I would probably put at the right hand would be, you know, Mick Jagger. To me, you know, the guy can read a cookbook and you still be mesmerized. <laughs> And I don't know what to put on the left side again. I don't, I'm not, I don't want to, because you know, it's not necessarily the ideal. I mean, I can tell you that on the right hand, I want to be a Mick Jagger that when I, when I talk that people just absolutely listen to me and they're transfixed by it. Uh, and that's kind of, at least in my mind, he's the guy, but there's certainly a lot of others, you know, it's just like, where are you? Were you a Mick Jagger? Were you something really dull that they're like, oh, you're going to put me to sleep. So that's kind of what it, it, it's a self-evaluation that can be even on this level. Uh, so that would be the, um, uh, the, the, the third element. Uh, so we talked about active listening and empathy. We talked about the knowing your audience and making it about them, uh, the delivery of the message, not just the, uh, uh, what we say. And the fourth element here uh, is the, the reality that we're moving away from a world of presentations. That's my feel. Uh, 
Like the idea of you standing up and presenting for an hour, half hour, it's just, that seems a little bit outdated. It's just my feel. And it's yeah. much more about engaging and making sure that, that you uh, respond to their question in the spirit of making it about them. What is important for them to talk about? And if you do this, there are a set of questions. And, and, and you know, I, I started doing this years ago. And initially, it was intimidating because I didn't know what questions I might be asked. I really had no idea. And as I started doing these virtual client events and in-person client events, uh, what I realized is that whether it was in Alabama or is in Florida, whatever it was, the questions tended to be very similar from one event to another. And it was this like eye-opening. Well, it's like if I take a test and I know 90% of the questions on the test, what should I do? You know, be like the Boy Scouts, be prepared for that. Uh, and then what I realized that, that what I need to do realistically is, first of all, document the questions. Make sure that I know what questions are top of mind. And I can tell you, as of August 2022, they're pretty consistent, a set of questions around, you know, recession and the market downturn and inflation and war and all these things are unprecedented. So I have a sense of what they are right now. I wrote them down. And for each one of these questions, it made me think of uh, football. And you guys have the great team at Alabama. And, and if you think of a quarterback, I don't know what the quarterback, I'm, I'm going to be very honest. I don't know exactly who it is these days. But if you think of that quarterback, when he shows up on the field, he has no idea how the defense will line up. But it doesn't mean he goes there blindly unprepared. He has a playbook. He studies the playbook, and his job is to adjust the playbook to the conditions on the field. And I do really feel that as an advisor, I need to create a playbook. And, and, and to have that playbook ready, study it. And when I meet with somebody, my job is to take that playbook and adjust it to the person or the couple in front of me. Uh, and that leads me to the fourth component here is that in order to prepare, what I do believe is that, that advisors uh, need to have playbooks for different questions. They need to create a playbook so uh, when they have a question coming in, they can uh, uh, be very effective at delivering an answer. So in the playbook, uh, there, there are four components that, that, that I typically consider. Uh, the first one is um, something we dubbed as scripts uh, because we want to make it easy to remember. Uh, scripts, but it's not really a memorizing a paragraph. That's not what a script should be in my view. In my playbooks, scripts are the talking points, the narratives that I want to bring forth to convey the message that I want to convey whether it's in recession, inflation, I have a, a set of talking points and I have multiple because I need to be able to choose which one might be effective for that person in front of me. And I spent a lot of time thinking about those talking points. And, uh, and in fact, sometimes I put some in, the, in there and I take them out. If I don't find it work, sometimes I hear something on the news or I, I, I think about something and I start digging in and there is a, a, a talking point that might make its way on the list. But the first one is scripts, which really means talking points. The, the, the second element is uh, stories. We talked about stories, hugely important. They can be stories about what happened in the past, story about clients, personal stories. Uh, it, it's hugely uh, powerful to bring in a story uh, to tell that. You know, a great example is, uh, you know, I, inflation is a big news today. And I wanted to have some sort of a story about inflation. And uh, um, just when I looked at some data it, in 1946, happened to be the highest inflation year on record in the U.S. for the past 100 years. So it really, wait, uh, 1946, it had to do with the war. 
And, and then it kind of clicked, wait, why the war? The war was over by then. Why 1946? So I started digging and I found there was a good story there because for years, uh, the economy transitioned from civilian to military. Uh, and we introduced as a country something called the Office of Price Administration or the OPA. <laughs> and the OPA basically put a price ceiling on, uh, on, on, on a ch- bowl of chicken soup at the restaurant and a can of beans. And supply and demand were not allowed to operate. And, you know, when that was let go in 1946, you had years of compressed prices and, the, you know, supply and demand free markets not allowed to operate. Price, you know, prices popped and we saw very high inflation, but he made it a story. And I thought like, well, that's that's probably a relevant story that I can tell. And so it's stories that can come from just digging in from what you hear from something that that was interesting to you. Or if you have a story, I tell the story of my father-in-law who basically waited for hours and hours in gas lines in the 70s. So there are stories that he can bring up. So you got scripts or talking points, stories, and they tend to work on the auditory side of learning. But we also have a visual. And to me, the biggest one on the visual has been sketching, not necessarily relying on PowerPoint slides, but really find a way to sketch. And what, what we've done so far is sketching. I mean, you know, there's no, of course, I could have created a slide and type in a few words. I just find that it's a lot more impactful if we actually uh, sketch. It, it feels more educational to folks. It doesn't feel as salesy. Uh, and, 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 and people, people, they lean in physically. They want to be closer to that. Uh, and, 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 and sketching also allows you to create a reveal and control the flow of information. A lot of benefits from sketching. Uh, so uh, uh, I, I think that, that that should be part of the playbook. In my opinion, it's a, it's a good component of that on the visual side. Uh, and the fourth one is what we think of supplements. Uh, and, and that is, you know, having a book or PowerPoint slides, because I still think they're useful. I just don't know that they're a starting point. And that's kind of where I'm going with this. So if I, if I had a choice between a slide and a sketch, I'd probably use a sketch. In the sketching, which I think is a, a skill that we would all need to practice, do you have you found it's better on a whiteboard because then you get to incorporate uh, the standing up. Like there's a whiteboard in every single office in RFG because I can't think without a whiteboard. So do you recommend that advisors do the sketching on a whiteboard or is it equally as impactful just on a pad of paper sitting around a conference table? I would say it's equally as impactful. Uh, I use the, the board because it's a prop that allows me to stand up and I love presenting standing up. Uh, I, on the other hand, I don't find it all like it's it's I, I love sketching on piece of paper because quite often the client uh, or the clients, they ask, can I keep that? Right. And I'm like, as long as you don't make an NFT out of it. <laughs> Just kidding. Yeah, uh, yeah exactly. It is, it is something that they like to keep. And, and, and again, I, I also like the physical nature that when you have a couple of people and you draw something, they lean in a little bit and they that physical uh, uh, engagement, I think is important. Okay, so I so want to put you a, a little bit on the spot on this, um, which I think would be fun. You know, one of the most kind of dreaded conversations is when clients want to talk about fees. And I think that's a, that's a playbook that advisors have run through. How am I going to respond to that? What evidence am I going to bring to the table? But I, I would love for you to give an example of like the conversation is veering off the path that you want it to be on, how you would use sketching to have a you know conviction in holding firm your fee to clients. Yeah, that's, that's a, such an important question. I mean, the first uh, place that I would start 
is that this is a conversation that it's implicit or explicit. People need to have something ready for that. There has to be a playbook uh, associated with that. And, and and second thing to be very cautious, and I've seen this, Shannon, when I did case studies in advisors' offices. And there were two advisors who were pretend clients, two advisors who were the advisors, uh, and everybody in the firm was watching that interaction for about 15 minutes. And what was fascinating uh, for everybody to observe is that uh, when they were talking about the investment philosophy, there was so much energy and conviction. And when the conversation turned to fees, uh, they became much more defensive and almost sheepish about it, even though they had a very good script, in a way, to say. It's just the way they said it wasn't really good. And, and, and everybody observed that. Everybody said, that's kind of what we do in meetings. We have a different energy around you know, investments versus that. So one of the things that they, they try to do is, is really go out there. And, uh, and the way they framed it is like, we are really proud of the fees that we charge because we know the value that we bring to our clients. So, so the first thing is that, that you have to have that conviction that you bring value to clients because if you don't, it's going to come across in the way you say it. And that case study was done by younger advisors. When the more experienced advisors came in, that's kind of when they brought it like, I've seen how much I can help clients. So, so it's, you know, I'm not saying fake it till you make it, but you know, you have to have a conviction if you're younger and you haven't seen as much and you haven't helped people as much. Uh, so to me, the, the, the first big one is just think about not just what you say, but how you say it. There has to be a level of conviction. And to me, the word proud, it's almost like you can't say it in a, in a, in a, uh, just like a diminished way. It has to come out forcefully. Uh, the second thing is that it's hard not to tie in fees with value. And in fact, I think it's very productive to thought, to think about the fees and to let people know that, that, uh, we are very competitive. We are actually looking at the industry and we want to be competitive, but our goal is not to be the cheapest advisor in town. We want to have the best value. And because none of us, I don't know, I hope none of us really go and say, well, who's the cheapest dentist in town? Or go to a car lot and say, show me a cheapest car. People don't want to buy the cheapest thing. What they want is the best value. And that's yeah. what I think it's really important is, is to make sure that we talk about fees. We don't talk in isolation, but we talk relative to the value that you bring. And in that respect, if you think of the delineation of different advisors, uh, one of the ways that, 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 that could be helpful is to start by suggesting that there, there, there are many, many brokers out there. Boy, this is not a circle. That's, that's, that's talking about bad sketching. Uh, so there are plenty of brokers out there, roughly about 200,000 brokers that exist in the country. They're there to sell a product. Uh, and they have a certain value proposition, which is around providing a product. Now, there is a smaller number, a subset of investment managers and robo-advisors who provide an additional service. And the fees are certainly a little bit uh, different because they provide that. But really what the, the advisors that you're working with, uh, they want to hone in and really uh, uh, be very comprehensive in the services that they provide to their clients. And these are the wealth managers. And, and one of the things that it would be very, uh, it would be interesting for an advisor to do is even if they sketch something like this, uh, to let people know, you know, it would be very helpful for me to understand which one are you looking for? Before, if you're looking for somebody to pitch your product and just buy a, a stock or something, there are plenty of brokers. That's not our cup of tea. 
And I would, I'd, I'd be hard pressed to say that people today, the ones who would work with advisors, see, I'm just looking to, you know, no, that's not what they're looking for. So then it's between you and the investment manager. And that's easier to discuss that, you know, that the fees that they charge are lower. Uh, and at the same time, they don't provide as many services. And, and tell me what you're looking for. If you're a young person getting starting in life and all you have is just a 401k and then just like a few bucks that you save on the side, perhaps this you're not the right fit because the services that we provide are much more comprehensive and it's people have more financial complexity in their life. And then again, those people, if they were to self-select, they would certainly not choose a broker, but they would be saying, you know, I'd rather be that family in the center, uh, and that's who I want to work with. And at that, 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 that point, it becomes, you know, much more uh, uh, manageable to discuss fees relative to services and the value that you bring to a client. I love that. That's such a great, such a great example. Okay, I know we're, I mean, it's one of those, like, I can't believe we're coming up on an hour. Like, we could go on. I know it flies by. This is so, so interesting. Okay. So in my last question, I, I want to, we're going to have to do a follow-up because I want to get into the four C's, the cornerstones of the advisor's value proposition, which you've really coached me up on with competence, coaching, convenience, and continuity. So we're going to leave that as a cliffhanger as a follow-on <laughs> conversation. Cause I think there's, that's a whole separate little, maybe we'll do a mini podcast, mini cast. Um, but here's, <laughs> Here's one of the things that I think is so important because we've stepped through this like self-assessment that you need to do around where's my comfort level in communication? Am I a nerd or am I a shack? Do I have both of those skill sets developed equally? And then we've recognized like the, the true need for being open to emotional conversations and being not even open to them, being passionate and excited about engaging in conversations that are rooted in emotion. And the, you know, I love that we're going to go active listening, knowing your audience, delivery, the visual and voice is so fascinating to me. And then obviously the playbook. So there's a lot to unpack there and to work on. In the next 24 hours for an advisor looking at this, recognizing that the game of the future is going to be one, being an elite communicator, what's one thing that um, you think they should do? And then I have my one thing from listening to you. Um, the one thing is if they have an opportunity to have a meeting with somebody else is ask for feedback present these four things, you know, talk about the active listening, know your audience. So they're pretty easy to remember. If you jot them down, ask somebody to give you some feedback. And how did I do on these? And, and maybe create your own sheet that you write down where you thought you, uh, you were. So to, to me, a lot of it is about understanding that, that it, it, how do I progressively get better? And it's incremental. It's not going to be from here to here. It's just going to be a little bit. It's marginal improvement. So start by, by looking at the next meeting and even either ask for feedback or write down these four elements yourself and then evaluate yourself and then evaluate meeting after meeting. And you'll realize that incrementally, you know, if I didn't ask enough questions that, you know, maybe the next one I do. Uh, so it's the incremental, but it starts with either self-evaluation or asking somebody else on your team to just give you some feedback because I found that to be incredibly powerful. All right, mine's a little bit of a riff on yours. Um, so I said create a four box matrix 
Is it about them? Is it about me? Am I a nerd? Am I a shack? And then rank yourself really quick. Just like create that, photocopy it, put it in your client file and rank yourself after that meeting because that immediate, like, you know, did I make it about me? Did I ask enough questions? Was I on the motive side? Was I on the jargon nerd side? Um, so I guess it's a little bit of a, a riff on your 24-hour advice as well. Well, Santa, I mean, one of the things that I've been kind of like uh, working on is actually a bit of a form that has these four elements, easy to remember, but also a, a bit of self-evaluation in there. What did I do well? What I can do different? Uh, and, and maybe this is a form that, that, that at some point uh, we I can... I think this is breaking news right now. <laughs> Let's get that form out Can there. <laughs> Apollo, thank you so much for joining us. You are truly a master of communication. So it's a, it's a real honor to have you on our masterclass. It was so fun talking to you. Thank you for having me and uh, look forward to uh, part two. We'll See you soon. Exactly, there. part two. All right. Thanks, Apollo. Thank you for listening to the Disruption Blueprint podcast. Click the follow button to be notified when new episodes become available. Visit our website at www.rfgadvisory.com or schedule a call on our advisor resources page. And don't forget to click the follow button to be notified when new episodes become available. Content here is for illustrative purposes and general information only. It is not legal, tax, or individualized financial advice, nor is it a recommendation to buy, sell, or hold any specific security or engage in any specific training strategy. Information here may be provided, in part, by third-party sources. These sources are generally deemed to be reliable. However, neither our guests nor RFG Advisory guarantee the accuracy of third-party sources. The views expressed here are those of our guest. They do not necessarily represent those of RFG Advisory, its employees, or its clients. This commentary should not be regarded as a description of advisory services provided by RFG Advisory or performance returns of any client. The views reflected in the commentary are subject to change at any time without notice. Securities offered by registered representatives of private client services, member FINRA SIPC. Advisory services offered by investment advisory representatives of RFG Advisory, LLC, RFG Advisory or RFG, a registered investment advisor. Private client services and RFG Advisory are unaffiliated entities. Advisory services are only offered to clients or prospective clients where RFG Advisory and its representatives are properly licensed or exempt from licensure. No advisory services may be rendered by RFG Advisory unless a client agreement is in place. RFG Advisory is an SEC-registered investment advisor. SEC registration does not constitute an endorsement of RFG by the Commission, nor does it indicate that RFG or any associated investment advisory representative has attained a particular level of skill or ability.